Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 70 of the Masterclass. I am Cam, and, well, he's Dave. Yes. What's up, man? Ah, it's been a long week. That's what you've said. Yeah. But once it's always good to be here. Well, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that, that our little space in the basement is still preserved. <laughs> I feel like... If it's okay with you, we should put a photo in the show notes. Because I don't think anyone ever knows what our recording situation looks like. <laughs> and let me tell you, it's quite a sight to see right now. Yes. We'll see if we'll see if Dave has permission for that. Sure. Uh, but anyways, we are here and Well, we've got some follow-up mm-hmm. for this episode from Longtime Listener, Longtime Follow Upper. Also, a longtime little sister of mine, uh, for 23 years now? Yeah, she's 23. Oh man, that means I'm old. Anyhow, Rachel sent in a few questions from some previous episodes, so uh, we're going to dive into that, but before we do, is there anything that you want to share? No. Okay, I put nope. Dave on the spot, and he responded <laughs> quite well. <laughs> Didn't even have to think about it. Yeah, I'm good. All right, so... Rachel has her first follow-up is from episode 65, and she says this. Something I've always had a hard time wrapping my mind around is the idea that there are some Christians who continue living in their sin because they know God will forgive them. How do you live with and deal with someone like that in your life? First question. Uh, There have been a few times I've had to personally forgive such a person, Yet, they turn around and do essentially the same thing a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's no fun. No, that's not fun at all. So let's, um, let's start with the first thought. Mm-hmm. And I think we can both agree with this. Uh, something I've always had a hard time wrapping my mind around is the idea that there are people who are Christians who continue living in sin because they know that God will forgive them. Um, I know I'm guilty of this at times in my life. And uh, I, I dare say a lot of folks have have ridden this roller coaster, right up and down. Um, but what are your thoughts about that type of living? Uh, my first thought is is it's not a good way <laughs> uh, to live. Mm, my second thought is that. I believe, oh, our ideas and God's ideas of what things are like and how things are are very different. And so, if somebody is truly living from a place of, I can sin and it's okay because God's going to forgive me, that is not, I mean... And again, it's. I think you got to look at the totality of of the person, their life. Are they uh, genuinely seeking Him? Are they pursuing Him, or not? And ultimately, I guess I'm glad that God makes this decision, and I don't. And uh, the thought that keeps coming back to my mind is uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the cost of discipleship. And the reason that he calls 
the reason that the book is called The Cost of Discipleship, because I think in German it was actually just discipleship when they made it. Into... But German words are so long that they felt like English had to <laughs> yeah, be multiple words. Yeah, and so um, the English title is The Cost of Discipleship, and the cost is referring to uh, the cheap grace uh, that we so often um, hear people um, making Christianity into in terms of what Rachel's saying here of um, I can sin and it's okay um, because I'm forgiven. And I, I guess the, the sentence in my mind that is, is coming to me is that that is a dangerous way to live. And I would never, I'm glad that it's ultimately up to God to making that decision and not me. But it just makes me almost uneasy to think about living that way. However, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of going, I know God's going to forgive me. Um, and so this will be my last thought. And I'll let you talk because <laughs> I feel like I'm rambling. Is what is your heart towards that sin? And it's, I know for me, the, the sins that I repeat, after I do them, I generally, I, I, I feel bad about it. Like, I'm like, God, I don't want to do that. Like, why do I do that? And kind of put myself in that Paul and Romans of the very thing that I don't want to do, I do. Um, you know, it's not me that does it. It's the sin within me. And um, really, this is what the entire uh, book of Romans is all about. So, yeah, and that leads me to another part where, you know, Paul says, should we continue in sin so that, gra- so that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Heck no. no. No way. Uh-uh. Like, that's not how it works. Um, and so, in theory, it's very easy to say, yeah, that's a dumb idea. Don't do that. Um, but again, to your point, like, I see this in my own life, you know, looking looking at, uh, you know, hindsight is, is twenty twenty, as as they say. And, you know, when, when I look at you know, my past, whether it's, it's, you know, recent past or, or distant past, I see these trends in my life where I'm like, well, it's sin when other people do it, but I'm special, (laughs) you know, and it's, it's such a skewed view. So I think part of the issue of, of why people, um, live in sin because I know that God will forgive them is that I don't think, and, and this, uh, is, I'm paraphrasing Tim Keller here. We don't understand the depth of our sin. Mm. And we also don't understand the depth of God's grace. Yes. And this gets to your idea of cheap grace. Um, that my sin really isn't a big deal. I'm, I'm a good person. I do nice things. I treat people well. The sins that I have just leave me alone. Like, they're not a big deal. I don't, I don't steal. I don't murder. I don't, you know... Uh, do sex trafficking, like any of the just uh, truly abominable things, I don't do those. Mm-hmm. So my sin really isn't a big deal, which completely cheapens the fact, or cheapens what, what God did through Jesus on the cross, right? So it's it's like, uh, man, I'm all about the analogies tonight. You've seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, right? Yes. It's a wonderful movie, except for all of the really terrible parts. <laughs> um, but there is one point where 
they find this knight, and they get in a fight, and they chop his arm off, and he says, "'Tis merely a flesh wound," and he's, you know, squirting those 1970s uh, special effects out of his arms. And they and they cut his other arm off. Oh, it's just a flesh wound. He goes, "What are you gonna do? Bleed on me?" <laughs> um, but that to me is a perfect example of our perception of the problem. Our perception is, yeah, my arm's missing, but it's no big deal. I can still do everything without an arm than I could do with an arm. It's really not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. God's yeah, God's grace is good, but my sins aren't that bad, so I don't need a lot of it. But when but the reality is, no, our arm is completely cut off and we're bleeding out. And we are just so blind to the reality of the depth of our sin and our need for grace that's even deeper. That Because I don't think people want to admit the truth of who they really are. I know I don't. Right. And it is... It is very peculiar to me, and I've, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, and I know that I've, I've talked to, my, to, to Joel about it quite a bit recent, in recent days, is that this, this idea that my, my natural um, like just state of being is, I'm right, someone else is wrong. Even if they're a physicist and I'm not. Like, <laughs> I have such... Like, ridiculous confidence in my ability to do the right thing and be right in situations that I have no reason being right or knowledgeable in. And this is one of those situations, right? Where I can be, uh, as a created being, as a sinner, as someone who messes up all the time, can, I feel like I can accurately assess my level of sin in the world and go, Hmm, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Without having, any bit of knowledge about how God rules the universe. Really. You yep. know? And so I I am, I see myself as that knight with no arms trying to fight people off, thinking that I have just flesh wounds. Mm-hmm. And that's just ridiculous. If you yeah. don't believe me, watch the skit. It's ridiculous. It is. I never thought I'd use Monty Python as a biblical <laughs> example. Yeah, and that's... So then I think there's there's even another piece to this of God doesn't ask us to deal with more than we can handle. So there's certainly this, this um, we are sinners, and it's not just about the sin. The fact of the matter is, is Dave Hogue is a sinner, period. Yeah, it's, yeah. And so while there are individual sins in my life, I don't believe he expects me to work on all of those at the same time. And so while I may be making strides in um, my truthfulness, um, I may not be doing so well in my slothfulness. And so I think there's, there's a, that other piece of it too, of what is God really working on in somebody's life? And are they being convicted of this sin? Because if, if you're being convicted of this sin and you just choose to ignore it, that's one thing. If you're being convicted of the sin, you do it, and you feel bad about it, I think that's another. And I'm not talking guilt. I'm talking true uh, repentance of, God, I've sinned against you and you alone and, and nobody else. Uh, versus, oh, I can sin. It's not a big deal. God will, will let me uh, do this. You know, it's not a big deal. And then, I, for me, one of the things that I've started to realize is 
Okay, I've got like these three or four little sins over here, and I got these three or four little sins over here. And for me personally, these three or four sins may be a manifestation of a deeper sin that I really need to be addressing. And Satan keeps me focused on the fact of um, I eat too much. And so, so, I, so I'll, I'll speak for my own life of um, put, just, just putting myself first before others. Well, there's a lot of different ways that I put people, that I put myself before others. Uh, you know, watching TV at night versus reading to Wilby before he goes to bed. Um, you know, um, sleeping in when I could get up and do something, or uh, there just there can be a deeper underlying sin versus these sort of surface level sins that we tend to focus on. That if we dealt with the deeper sin, multiple uh, what we've defined as. Um, well, I don't know what we've defined them as, but sins that we can point at and observe and, and label a lot easier than what it is to actually deal with the deeper sins that we have um, in our life. And I would just say for me personally that one of those has been my underlying selfishness and putting myself before others and focusing on what I want and focusing on making myself comfortable uh, versus truly dying to self and, and uh, seeking him and others. Yeah. So, sorry, I'm just trying to process what you said. Um, the next part, how do you live with and deal with someone like that in your life? Well, I deal with that person every day. <laughs> it's me. Yeah. Um, I think, and I and I get what what Rachel's asking here um and so i'm not trying to sound profound here but i i do genuinely think we the one place we should put ourselves first is when we're judging like we should you know what is it uh, check the log in your own eye before the speck in you know your mm -hmm. friends or your brothers like if there's ever a point where we're going to be selfish it needs to be in the amount of judgment we pass out and I don't even know if that's the right term there, um, but never mind. Let's just move on. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really have, obviously, complete thoughts about that. But I think if you have someone like this in your life, you have to... I think you have to be upfront about it because if you're not then you could be enabling this sort of behavior mm -hmm. and that's not to say that you stop forgiving them because god calls us to forgive but that forgiveness does not mean negligence and i think this gets to rachel's next question later on about um being comfortable with confrontation. Um, but if you have someone in your life that you care about, um, that you have good intentions towards, that you may even love, um, whether romantically or just in friendship, um, you have to be willing 
to call out the bad stuff. Yeah. And not in like a, haha, I caught you in a sin, you're a bad person sort of way, but in like, hey, look, we're friends. You know that I, I've got your back. This is me having your back. I see this trend in your life, and I know that you probably don't want to hear this, and frankly, I'm on comfortable calling you on this because I don't really know how to do this, but I care enough about you to say, how can I help you in this area? Because I see a trend that I think may not be good for you. Mm -hmm. And they may say, screw you and blow up in your face and don't you judge me and whatever. Or they might say, holy crap, thank God, someone I can finally talk to about this. Because you may not know. They may be struggling really deep, and they just don't feel like they can say anything to anybody. Yeah. Because they need to be the perfect Christian that their parents wanted them to be and shamed them into being as children. Like, you, you don't know. Exactly. They may be completely aware of it, but they may not have the confidence or the trust in other people to say, can you please help me? I am struggling. Mm-hmm. Or they might say, Bleep, 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 you know, <laughs> or they might just be like, yeah, whatever. I don't want to talk about it. I mean, there's there's a million reactions, but you can't let the one, you know, psycho reaction. Uh, you can't let that one reaction rule out you approaching them because there could be, you know, so many, so much good could potentially come from that, and you just have to, you know, uh, maybe not exactly what I said, but. Just however you and that person relate. Mm-hmm. Start on the common ground that you have. We're friends. You know that I care about you. I'm not judging you. I'm not saying that I'm a better person. Like, you don't even have to get into all that. Just be like, look, man. Or look, girl. I don't know how... <laughs> like, what's, what's the girl equivalent of dude? I don't know. I don't know. Hey, girl. Something like that. But, like... You know I'm your friend. I've got your back. I see. Can I help you? Do you want my help? I I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But coming at it from the angle of we're in this together. I've got your back. We are friends. I care about you. I am not your enemy here. And they may just blow you off. Yeah. But you don't know. You know, even if they blow you off, you still might have, in the long run. As they say in the Bible, planted a seed. <laughs> so how do you live and deal with You just, I mean, part of life is living and dealing with people. And that's not part of life, actually. That's all of life. Yeah. <laughs> life is people. And people are sinners. And pe- Yeah, people are sinners. And people make mistakes. And people are broken. Even people that know Jesus, we still are not whole yet. And I don't know at what point we were sold the lie that everyone is okay. (laughs) But that's BS. Everyone is not okay. And we all try to pretend to be okay. And I don't know where in the Bible it says pretend to be okay. I think being okay is a lie from hell. Or at least pretending to be okay. So, I don't know. I'm getting preachy now, Dave. Save me. Well, I think that's I think that's one of the things that makes the Bible the Bible uh that makes it 
is is there are real stories of real people in there, and it's it's not sugar coated. I mean, we see Peter for all his flaws, and we see David for all of his flaws, and yeah, there's there's really very few people in there that God uses that don't do something that we would consider sin. And for that matter, boy, we'd outright just shun vast of the majority of the people that are uh, upheld as godly folks in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I was just, as you, right before I said, I was like, man, what will we do if, like, Saul, not Paul, but Saul walked into church, or uh, Abraham, mm-hmm. you know, who was just a pagan guy that God picked, you know? Or Joseph, after coming out of jail for uh, sexually assaulting Potiphar's wife, mm-hmm. he would, I'm, like in the suburban church, whoa, you're on the sex offenders list, man. Well, it wouldn't be, because, well. He might be. He might be. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, like, Daniel comes to mind as somebody who kind of got it right most of the time, if not all the time. Yeah. Based on what's told in the story. But other story. than that. There weren't a whole lot. Even Solomon kind of lost it in his old age. Oh, yeah. Like, big time. But he started yeah. out really good. <laughs> or even, you know, a guy like David. Like, started out great. Made a few huge mistakes. Ended pretty well. But his yeah. mistakes were egregious. His mistakes were egregious. And his mistakes are listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, just things that you're just like, God can redeem. I It just... It is humbling to me because I just I do I think I'm in so much I I I believe I have more control than I do than I do um, I believe I'm more important than I I mean it's just I just wow when I really start thinking about it Our and that's are... yeah and that's and I just think that's it uh, you know you mentioned going to somebody in love about things which I think we'll we'll get here in a little bit and then um, you know in those moments where people truly reflect and they come before God. Where does their heart end up? You know, is it this glib sort of, yeah, he's going to forgive me. Boy, treading on dangerous waters of, I'd seriously question your salvation, versus, yeah, when I come before God and I really consider the way I behave and the things I do, things, I am a sinner, and I need to beat my chest as I pray before God to forgive me of the things that I've done. So I think it's just a heart condition that um, we don't have the ability to really totally diagnose for others and just that realization that we are all sinners and that if we see somebody in this condition who we love and we are close to then we really need to speak up and speak directly to them yeah all right last part of the first question Mm -hmm. there have been a few times i've had to personally forgive them you have to turn around and do essentially the same thing a few years later two thoughts i think she's talking about you well that's (laughs) And me. We haven't lived and together me. in a long time. Oh, okay. I've been out of the house, Dave. I left when I was 17. Okay. I mean, I came back for some summers and stuff. But thankfully, my parents would catch me back in the summers. Bless their dear hearts. <laughs> um, that made it sound like we had a really rough... I love my parents. We've got a great relationship. <laughs> I just wanted to be out of the house and be independent. Right. It was me being young and dumb, and they were gracious enough to say, no, 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 you should live here for the summer so that you don't do anything stupid. My parents are wonderful people. 
gosh, that's... <laughs> it Rachel bad. will get a kick out of that yeah. because she knows. But, yeah, no. It's all good. I just was going to go make a lot of money and be a lawyer. How that turned out. Mm. Um, anyways, did you know that story? No. I'll tell you later. It's okay. not important for the podcast. Um, all right, so there have been a few times I've had to personally forgive someone who did this, and yet they turn around and do a few of Two thoughts. One, keep forgiving them. Yep. Even though you don't want to. Part two, tell them. Yeah. Say, you know, again, I'm your friend, I care about you, but when you do this, this is how it affects me. Mm-hmm. And I don't appreciate how that affects me. We are friends or coworkers or whatever. And I want this to work. And I am forgiving you for doing that. But you need to know that this action that you take towards me makes me feel this way. I just want you to know that. Mm -hmm. I would appreciate it if we could resolve this. And again, they may say, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Or I know I've got a problem in that area. Or double flip the birds, see you later, don't be your friend. But at that point, you you have done your part as right. a Christian friend of saying, first of all, I forgive you. If you hear nothing else, hear that. I forgive you. Secondarily, this is, this is the way it makes me feel, and I don't appreciate that. And if we want to be friends, and I want to be friends, we need to come to a resolution on this, because I, I don't want to be made to feel this way by my friend. That's not a good, healthy friendship. And is it, is it really easy for me to say this into a microphone, not in front of someone who's just offended me that way? Absolutely. But I still think that it's the right way to do it. And it's going to be hard. And if you don't like having those types of conversations, you're probably going to be sweating bullets. Mm-hmm. But if, if we were to take seriously forgiveness like God takes it we have to forgive that person that's a non-negotiable it's that second part that is then up to you to decide do I continue to let this person treat me this way or do I put my foot down and say this, this is how you're affecting me right. and you need to know this yep. so just some thoughts hopefully they're practical I think so, I think so. All right. Oh, man. Getting pumped up, Dave. <laughs> I lift my arms up, but I worked out really hard this morning, and I don't think I can lift my arms above my shoulder. It's supposed to be good for me. I'm, I'm still not too sure, sure about that. Um, episode uh, 69, she has a question, so that would be last episode. How do you think Christians can become better at and more comfortable with confrontation? Do you have suggestions on how to go about speaking things in love to someone but still confrontationally? How do you balance being blunt and sugarcoating things? Well, I have an answer to the last one. Okay. <laughs> I don't try and sugarcoat things, but that's just because... I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 I could try and be nicer. And I'm not a jerk, but like... If I'm upset, the last thing on my mind is sugarcoating. And I probably shouldn't be confronting somebody when I'm upset. No. That's that's probably step one is walk away, calm down, 
become an adult again and then go have a conversation. But let's start at the beginning, Dave. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your thought on that first part of the question? Well, my first thought is, is I don't think it necessarily comes down to whether you're a Christian or not. I think it's whether you're wired for confrontation or not. And whatever you want to choose of all the myriad of things that are out there, because I do think we all have our personality types. I think we all who were wired a certain way. And some of us just don't like confrontation, period. Uh, I am one of those people. Really? I do not like confrontation. I've learned something new about you. <laughs> and I would not, um, but yet I would have to say that for the last 15, 20 years of my life, confrontation has been a central theme. Um, my master's degree is in dispute resolution. Which is a highly specific master's degree, I must say. Yes. Well, it's a, it's Compared a, to mine. It's a, liberal, <laughs> it's a liberal arts degree, but it's, I've got X number of hours in dispute resolution. So um, I am a crisis negotiator. I'm a police officer, which we're in the business of confrontation. Um, and currently I'm the uh, internal affairs investigator. So Are I you get, a masochist? Yeah, exactly. So, how do I think Christians become better and more comfortable with confrontation? Uh, I think the first thing is it's just part of growing up, it's part of aging, it's part of maturing. I think you start to realize that confrontation is not a bad thing. Um, it doesn't mean I always enjoy it, but I will just say it doesn't bother me like it used to. Like, I look at me before becoming a police officer and me now... I'm, I'm sort of like, eh, I could, I mean, if I had my choice, I would avoid it. Yeah, you but, don't go seeking it out, but, but, but it doesn't. Face of it, you don't run. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me now. So I think there's a little bit of that, um, and I think you, you learn how to do it. Like, there are some people, when you say the term confrontation, and I believe you and I have talked about this, that it's immediately a negative thing. Confrontation is negative. There is, there's no negative, um, value, no negative um, tone to the term confrontation. Confrontation it's is actually neutral. a neutral, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, so I, I definitely think that it is something you can learn to do, it's something you can learn uh, to be a part of who you are and the things that you do and still function, uh, even if you're not somebody that would naturally go towards confrontation. Um, go ahead. Oh, so I think part of the reason that at least speaking from my upbringing which was shockingly similar to Rachel's despite our seven year <laughs> despite our seven year age difference um, is that where we grew up in the church that we grew up in um, it was a good church up until it exploded in a three way nasty disgusting split which I think I've mentioned once or twice um, and it was with people trying to do the right thing but I mean like precious moments Bibles and be a good Christian kid and go to Owana and memorize your verses and when this like all the stuff that's meant to be good right but embedded in all of that is that good Christians don't rock the boat good Christians are good students and good, good daughters and good friends and there's no there's never anything but 
hey, doing great, God is good. Mm. And when you go to a Christian college, even one as good as Taylor University, which I will stand by the fact that I think Taylor's one of the best colleges on the planet. Mm -hmm. uh, academically, it's very good. Uh, culturally, it's very good. And theologically, it's a very good place. Has its issues, of course, because whenever there's people, there's issues. But all in all, Taylor's a good school, and that's where Rachel and I both went. That being said, I think that there is this this underlying current in, you know, middle American white Christianity that says emotions are bad, questioning authority is bad, and for lack of a better term, rocking the boat, right? And so when we think of confrontation, we think of those three things. Confrontation is emotional, confrontation is, is uh, rocking the boat, and confrontation is questioning authority. And those are bad things. Mm -hmm. And I call BS on all three of those things. Emotions are not bad. No. I think if you let your life be ruled by them, then they can become a bad thing. But I think that emotions are something that God gave us. And laughter and love and anger and sadness, all of those things help us understand the world that we live in and the God that made us. And I don't think that rocking the boat is a bad thing because this is how we've always done it, is the worst reason to do anything, ever, yeah. in any situation. And uh, what was the other one? Rocking the boat. Question oh, questioning authority. All the time. Why would you not? Just because someone's in charge doesn't mean they're doing it right. And so I think to get in a very roundabout way, and I apologize for this, to get today's point, confrontation is a neutral thing. It is two, hopefully, civil adults discussing a disagreement. Mm -hmm. And one of you might not even know there is a disagreement. And that's the whole point is confrontation is bringing to light an issue and doing so in a civil, conversational manner. It does not have to resort to mudslinging. It does not have to resort to cussing. It does not have to resort to yelling. If someone has done something that you feel like you need to bring to bring to the light, you can do so in a calm, civil manner. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I learned working at the bank for the time that I did is that when customers came in angry, it was often because they did not understand what was happening. And when you don't understand what's happening to your money and you don't have a lot of money, you get emotional. Mm -hmm. Because that's your security. And so one of the things I learned early on in those situations was, Sir or ma'am, I understand that you're upset. Would you allow me to explain to you what the situation is, and then we can proceed from there? Mm -hmm. I explain the situation, they learn something, I tell them I'm sorry that they... Like, I got this down fairly well by the time that I quit, <laughs> of, of how to de-escalate a situation with a bank customer. You have it way worse, because when you're de-escalating situation, it's such a crisis or hostage negotiator. Yeah. Like, that's, I don't, totally different. But my point is, like, even if someone comes into the confrontation completely emotionally charged, you can help diffuse that emotion by saying, I see that you are upset. I apologize that I have made you upset, even though in my case it wasn't my fault. I'm not... I'm just the guy that works at the bank. I'm not the bank that shuts your account down because you can't pay your bills. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that I've upset you. 
can I please walk you through the steps of the situation so that we are both on the same page and then I would love to help you resolve this. Nine out of ten customers at that point, oh, thank God you care. Because they, oh, sure. they come at me thinking that I'm just some corporate robot that doesn't give a crap about them. And frankly, I don't. <laughs> but my job at that time as the manager of the branch was to put fires out. And that meant dealing with confrontation on a regular basis. And I'm like you, I don't mind confrontation. It pumps me up. <laughs> like that whole fight or flight thing, I haven't been in a fight since middle school, but every time I'm like, let's go. Right. Which is so weird, because I'm a total softie. <laughs> but any time I get in a situation like that, I'm, I'm like, I'm on the verge of, if you take a step at me. But at the same time, I was still able to, because mostly it was, you know, little old ladies and they're nice once yes. they stop yelling at you but my point in all of this and I'm totally off the tracks here Dave sorry um, how do you become better and more comfortable with confidence you have to do it yes there's no way there's no substitute for game action right like we're in the NFL preseason right now training camps are going on they're running the routes they're practicing nothing is a substitute for games Right. Not practice, not training camp, not watching film. Nothing is better for learning than actually doing it. Yep. And so that means you're going to have to stumble through a few confrontational situations. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way it is. That's that's part of, of maturing and gaining wisdom is doing things wrong a few times and learning. Yeah. Or doing things somewhat okay and going, you know what, if I tweak this, that, or the other thing, I don't, this doesn't have to suck. This can actually be beneficial to both parties. Yep. We can both walk away going, huh, confrontation isn't a bad thing. Right. We have a civil discussion. We may not necessarily have resolved it right away, but we have started that walk together. Yeah. And that's really all you can do. You just yeah. got to do it. And yep. then if you screw up in the process, you have to be willing to apologize. Like, I'm sorry. I totally let my emotions get the best of me. I totally said things that I regret and should not have said. You know? And you just ask for forgiveness. Yes. I really hope any of that made sense. I just, like, realized where I was. No, you ever have those moments so. where, like, you just... The ideas are coming so fast that you talk and then you stop and you don't really realize how you got to the end of the <laughs> argument? Yes. That's, that's, that's not what we call a sound argumentative theory. That was just... <laughs> So how about the second part of the question? Well, and that's I, I would say the next two questions are kind of, and if I'm incorrect in this, I apologize, but to me they're basically the same. Do you have suggestions on how to go about speaking things in love to someone but still confrontationally balance being blunt and sugarcoating things? And I am going to... Um, going to uh, recommend a book called Crucial Conversations... Uh, it is not a Christian book, per se. It's written by a bunch of Mormons. Seriously? Seriously. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, the good thing about Christian Conversations is I am confident in saying that it is based on truth. And when I say truth, I'm coming from the perspective of God is truth. And there are certain things that just... They're true because God is true. And so, uh, Cruise Conversations, while the people that are 
the, the authors of it and did all this research, um, they landed on what they landed on because it, because it's true. I think it's it's it, 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 there's there's foundational things in in who God is in it, and so I would I would highly recommend uh, that book and reading it. Um, but some of the things that are in there that I found use, useful was it, it, it walks you through sort of a process of, um, well, you kind of, basically you start with yourself and, you, and you, you evaluate yourself and you say, what is it that um, I want and what is, what is keeping me from what I want? Uh, because so often our crucial conversations are the things of confrontation. We sort of degenerate into our default mode, and our default mode often is not what we really want. And so an example would be, um, if you're somebody that enjoys conflict, when you get in an argument with somebody, you may just decide, I want to win. And it's not, let's arrive at a mutually agreed upon position, or let's arrive at something that's beneficial. It's, I'm going to win at all costs. If you are not a confrontational person, you may find yourself going, what I really want is I want this problem to be resolved. But in the midst of the tension and everything happening, you default to, I really just want to be, I, I just want peace. I, I want the conflict to go away. I don't, I don't like it. It's, it, it, it makes me uncomfortable. And to result, to re, to return myself to a sense of being feeling normal, I'm just going to give in and let the other person have their way, because it's going to create peace for me quickly. And so, you, you start from this position of what is it that I really want, and what do I need to do uh, to get there. And an example that I would use is. Um, my daughter, much like her dad, is a people pleaser. And she had a friend in her experience that she did over the past year that um, just didn't know boundaries and, and consistently violated my daughter's boundaries, who was an introvert, liked to be alone, and just did not feel comfortable with a lot of things that this guy was doing. And I will just add that it wasn't just my daughter's personality of being an introvert. It was she didn't have appropriate boundaries. She overstepped her boundaries. Well, anytime my daughter would get in a confrontation with this gal and try to explain to her what she needed from her, she would default to the whole, well, I want you to like me, so I'm going to be nice to you. And I'm going to let you have your way. And then she would find herself going, that's not what I really want. What I really want is I want this to stop. And it's not going to stop unless I'm clear with this person and I can articulate to this person that this is what I want. And um, I, I can't go into it, nor should I go into it, because it's, it's very involved. But it helps you sort of arrive at a point of, this is how I see things. I'm sharing with you that this is how I see things. Can you tell me if I'm right or I'm wrong in that? And then you kind of move to a place of, um, based on the story that I'm telling myself, this is the conclusion that I arrive at. Is that conclusion appropriate or inappropriate? And then that person has an opportunity um, to respond to you. And then you move to a place where you can actually make some change. So I know I'm being very generic and very general uh, in terms of the crucial conversation, but 
uh, I think it really helps you looking at going, what is it that I really want? What are the stories that I'm telling myself? And how can I articulate to the other person um, what it is that I want? Give them the opportunity to tell me what it is that they want and then we can move forward uh, instead of being in conflict where nothing gets changed and actually engaging in conflict where we move forward towards a, um, a better uh, result. And that's ultimately what crucial conversations is. It's not about being an effective communicator. It's not being a great talker. It's about getting the results that we really want. Because I think so many of us go through life going, I know what I want, but when it comes down to actually getting what I want, I have a hard time with that. Uh, because I either get derailed by wanting to win, or I get derailed by wanting to uh, have peace. Which, ultimately, when you break it down, that's the old fight or flight. You know, what you were talking about earlier. So, um, I guess in short, my answer is, is if, if you're looking for something that will help you for this, I recommend Crucial Conversations. But I, in addition to what you were saying, go and do it find something that kind of gives you a model to follow and I'm sure there are other good examples out there besides crucial conversations but that's one that uh, I believe in because I do think it has strong biblical truths underlying what it's based on cool and that was longer than I meant to be so let's try to be brief fire Dave <laughs> Well, I think we're going to call it good there. All right. Um, we have now completed our first ever all follow-up episode, so thank you, Rachel. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, hopefully that was, was helpful um, to Rachel and uh, to others as well. Um, so that's it for episode 70. If you want to get to the show notes, you can go to supermegacorp.net slash masterclass slash 70. If you want to get Dave on Twitter, you can get him at 10.8HBO where 8 is the only number. I'm at Cam Brennan, and you can email us at hello at supermegacorp.net if you still like email. We'll be back at some point in the near future. Bye. Ta-ta. <laughs>